Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Wow, you guys are sleepy. So wake up. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, Clara. Good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> That was hilarious. <clears throat> All right. Well, our theme this year is contend. Is anyone ready to fight? Yeah. No, not against each other. Are <clears throat> you ready to fight for what the Lord has for your life? Yeah. Amen. It's time to contend. And we are studying in the book of Philippians. Uh, last week, we started a quick detour uh, about detours in the book of Acts. And uh, we looked at the the inception of the Philippian church and how, how it began, uh, what the plan was. And it's amazing. If you haven't read that before and you missed that, check back to last week's message. Uh, I believe it'll bless you. And it'll also, I, I believe, re-guide and refocus your mind and looking for what God would do in the midst of your detour. You ever been on a detour? Oh man, you're at a life detour. Sometimes there's detours and we take them and we do things, but sometimes things don't go our way and, and we got to figure out what to do in the midst of that. And today <clears throat> we're, we're going to be in Acts 16 again. So you could turn there if you'd like. And if you are using our church app, Abundant Life Ordering app, you can go to sermon notes and follow along if you'd like. If you brought a paper Bible, extra credit for you, uh, <clears throat> because we're going to le- read a lot of scripture today. So uh, the font's small on the screen because there's a lot. So hopefully you have your own Bible uh, bringing your Bible to church is what the cool kids do. So bring your Bible. Uh, today we're going to take a cue from Philippians. We started in Philippians and we, we've been reading, we, we've been reading through it really. We haven't been reading through it. We only got through chapter one, verse 11. And, uh, sometimes when you study the word, you just get stuck in the same spot over and over again, uh, because there's so much there. So last, <clears throat> last week we, we jumped from, uh, where Paul says in Philippians one, he talked about their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So we looked at the first day. And then now we're going to look at where it says, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether am I, I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace for me. Well, what was it about Paul's imprisonment? What was it about Paul being in chains, being in jail that reminded him about the Philippian church? Well, the Philippian church somewhat started in jail. And we're going to look at that today and go back to Acts 16. So when Paul draws these memories out and when we read these things and we say, oh, Paul, that's so nice. And he's, he said, even when I'm in chains, I'm thinking of you. Well, the chains helped him think of them because you ever have those flashbacks in life when you get in a situation, you're like, I've been here before. Has that ever happened to you? And you remember back to that moment. Paul's remembering back, I believe, to this moment in Acts chapter 16. And we're going to pick up with verse uh, 16, 16 today. He says here, Once, when we were going to, a pla- to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. In this translation that I'm reading, it doesn't actually say, it should say spirit of divination. They just sub- shrunk it down to spirit. But we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more when you get to the original text. So she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. 
She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. You guys, free advertising. <laughs> who doesn't like free advertising? They say any news is good news, right? Well, maybe not. She's advertising this this girl who's demon-possessed is going around and saying, you guys, like, people are paying to see her to find out about what they should do with their life, and she's falling around saying, listen to these guys. They know what they're talking about. Sounds like a good deal, except it's not. Let's go to verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Let's, let's look at what was going on. This is a spirit of divination. So the word in the Greek is actually the word python. You guys ever heard of a python before? Yeah. Well, python, uh, it's capitalized. Actually, it was a capital word, spirit. And it was Python who was the Greek, and Greek mythology was a false god in the image of a serpent. Can you guys think of anywhere else in the Bible where a serpent showed up and pretended to be God? Pretended to be a voice that spoke for God. Well, that is the spirit of Python, and it was a, it was a part of Greek mythology, but how many of you know that behind every false god, if it's a demonic spirit? We actually talked about that some in January. Now, it's very clear in this passage that this poor girl is actually demon-possessed, demonized, as they would say in the scripture. She is demon-possessed. She is inhabited by a demon, and she is speaking out fortunes to people. Now, Today, in our culture, there's still fortune tellers. You guys ever seen the, seen the buildings? There's, there's really fortune tellers in our culture today, and probably back then, were really, there's one of two things that a fortune teller is, okay? Fortune tellers are, are either, they're using psychological tricks and gimmicks to vaguely suggest future events. That's why when people read, a horoscope is a form of fortune telling, Okay? And so it is, it's so vague that you just fit in whatever you want and it seems to be true, right? Um, I think there's more behind it than that. But some fortune tellers are just people who have the ability to read people's body language and they just make guesses and they make suggestions until the person picks up and goes, oh, yeah, 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 and then they get it. Now, that's one form of fortune telling. That's the kind of fortune telling maybe you'll find at the circus, but there's a different kind of fortune telling, and that is demon-possessed individuals who use the occult to prophesy. Now, I don't know if you'll just know the difference between the two when you see one, so I'm just going to assume that it's number two, because that's a little better for my spiritual health to completely stay away. One of those fortune tellers steals your money, which stinks, and is steal your money and tell you vague things that mean nothing, or the other one opens up a door to ongoing demonic presence in your life. So if you, I'll just say this, I'm just not in my notes, that's right. If you've been to a fortune teller and you've never come before the Lord and rebuked that thing, please get some prayer as soon as possible. Because you open a door, when we participate in these things, when we uh, participate in occultic things, 
I know when I was a when I was a kid, there was kids doing the Ouija boards, which have been around forever now, right? Occult. These are occultic practices that they present themselves as innocent, and which is what the devil always does. This is innocent. It, this is this is candy, right? Isn't candy so good? I love sugar's great, and then. And then Matt said, what did you do on the sunny day? I went to the dentist for two hours. Uh, and it was supposed to be a quick appointment, but I had a cavity, right? And I had, to get, I had to get a filling done. And so that's where I sat on that sunny day. But you know what? Sugar's so good, but yet, what does it do? It produces rot in my teeth if I don't take care of it. Now, the, the, the devil wants to present things as sweet and good and helpful, and yet they're always death and destruction. And so fortune-telling... If you've participated in that, this is an, a side note here. Uh, let's, let's pray over that thing. And let's remove whatever it is that's been trying to latch on and attack you in your life through that. So here's this girl. She's clearly demon-possessed. It says she has a spirit of divination. And she's following them around like she's a member of their team. A member of their team. And Paul got so annoyed that he commanded the demon out. Now, when, when I read the Gospels about Jesus, here's what we hear about Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he healed them. And Jesus felt sorry for them, and he cast out their demons. And then here it says, and Paul was so annoyed. <laughs> I think he's still working on getting the heart of Jesus. He says, I haven't reached perfection yet. I think that's hilarious. I, I don't know of any other stories from any other pastors that I know that was like, oh yeah, I cast a demon out because I was just annoyed. Um, I think that's, that's, that's really funny. Uh, but praise the Lord, she's free. She's free. So she gets, she gets free in this moment and, and it's awesome. Now, I, I know that seems like a strange occurrence and it's not normal. Imagine you're trying to evangelize and, and someone is, let's say, let's say you're, you're just in the park. Some of you young people have gone to parks and you're just trying to tell people about Jesus and asking you to pray. What if someone followed you around with a megaphone as you were trying to spread the love of Christ and were like, you're all going to hell, right? You'd be like, this isn't helpful. This isn't helpful. I'm trying to just, I'm trying to just pray with people, okay? I'm not saying that's demon possession. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying like sometimes what seems like could be helpful is actually a giant distraction. And so Paul's annoyed and he says, we got to get rid of this thing. And so Paul casts out this demon on the spot. She is free. What should happen when someone is free of demonic possession? A party, right? We're going to rejoice. The whole city rejoices. Finally, this girl is set free. Let's see what they did in verse 19 says, when the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. I think their bottom lips stuck out, their arms are full, and they stomped their feet. These guys are messing up our customs. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Always comes down to money, doesn't it? 
always comes down to money. In Paul's future letter in, in the book of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, he reminds Timothy, Oh, Timothy, remember the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In this situation where there should have been rejoicing, there was anger that you messed with my business. You messed with my ability to control. And the owners accused them of throwing the city into an uproar which wasn't even close to the truth. Because they're the ones who threw the city into an uproar. They said, these guys threw the city in an uproar, and then they got everybody in this mob mentality. And they seized them, they stripped them, and they severely beat them and put them into maximum security prison. Well, what it was at the time, maximum security prison, that just meant that you went into the inner cell and you were locked up, and then they also locked up your feet. So you were double locked up, and locking up the feet was a position of extreme discomfort. So they made sure they were extremely uncomfortable. They had been severely beaten. We don't know how many times. We just know that it was severe. <clears throat> Pretend you're Paul and Silas. I'd just be curious. I know what my response is. How, I, how godly is your response? I'm just curious if you're more spiritual than I am. <clears throat> I'm not happy. I'm doing the Lord's work. I mean, God... Don't you understand? Remember last week? God, we were going to go to Asia. God, no, no, we were going to go to Bithynia. God, why did you send me to Philippi? I didn't come here just to get a beating. Why would you completely reroute my trip to send me to this city? I, yeah, I talked to this lady, Lydia, and she's important, and her house got saved, and that's great, God. I rejoiced. I praised you. I thanked you. But this... Like, this is the way the trip is going to go down, is that I'm going to get imprisoned for setting a girl free from a demon? Is this how you repay me, God? I wonder what's going through their minds, because if I'm honest with my own humanity, I'm thinking some of those things. I'm wondering why, after I'm doing the Lord's work, this is how I'm repaid. Man. I'm pretty ticked off that after I cast out a demon and set this girl free and changed the course of her entire life, and that's the way God would reward me, put me in jail. How could he not watch out for me? Here's what happens so often with Christians who have less than desirable outcomes in life. It looks just like that. When we're living our life and we're, we're walking through in the outcome isn't what we wanted it to be, how quickly we go to the closed fists and we raise our hands and we say, God, how could you? See, when, when things are good, we may praise him, but we say, God, how could this happen? Some of you have walked through hard things, and I'm not minimizing those things. We walk through tragedies. We walk through hard things. I've watched people blame God. God, this is your fault. Why did you do this to me? God, how could you? You were hurt by another Christian. Or maybe worse than that, you were hurt by a Christian leader. And you said, God, I will never go back to that church. God, I will never step foot. I will never trust. And you're angry. And you're hurt. And you're wounded. You had circumstances. They didn't work out the way you hoped, and we, we cast our 
blame upon God instead of casting our worries upon God, our cares upon God. We raise our fists and we say, God, where were you? Where are you? I think reading this story that Paul and Silas, just speaking purely in our humanity, had every right of every complaint I've ever taken to the Lord. I haven't walked through something like this. But man, they seem like to me like they'd have every right to say, God, come on. But see, when we close our hands and we raise our fists to God, what happens is we actually create distance. We create distance from God. We create a distance from him. Now, God is still omnipresent. He won't stop always being there. God doesn't leave us. I want to be clear. He does not leave us. But in our anger, in our disappointment, in our hurt, we put up walls and we say, you stay out. You stay away. I don't want to get close right now. Some of you are, are not wanting to serve the Lord. You're not wanting to do work for the Lord. You're not wanting to commit to the Lord or your local church because the hurt is there and you've got that wall up. Man, now, if it were true that God was the source of the pain, then I could get on board logically with saying, stay away. Stay away because you're hurting me, so distance myself from that giver of pain, but God's not the giver of pain. He's the healer of pain. God is not the one who brings brokenness. He's the restorer of brokenness. People bring brokenness. Fallen humanity brings brokenness. Our choices bring brokenness. Sin brings brokenness. God restores brokenness. That's what he does. He doesn't break us down. He builds us up. He is the redeemer from the pit. You see, God is not the problem. He's the answer. And we get stuck in these places in our lives where we go through situations where we, we, we just want to blame God. But blaming God gets you stuck. Blaming God will get you stuck in your life. I've talked to some of you that have walked through difficult seasons and you had seasons in your life where you blamed God and you can look back on that season and say for these five years or these 10 years, I was just, I was going nowhere. I was stagnant in my growth. I was angry, I was bitter, I was petty. And maybe you're stuck today because you've pushed away the only one who can really help. We push away the only one that can really help. And if you feel like you're not growing, you aren't finding joy, you're not finding peace, you're not finding happiness, I want to recommend an alternative to this. And that's this. That we open hands. That we take our fists and we say, God, sometimes we're not just raising fists in blame, but we're raising fists and I'm holding on to this hurt. I'm holding on to this thing. I don't want to let go. I'm too angry. I have the right. But we say, God, I just open my hands to you. God, would you come? It's a completely different situation. Look what happens in verse 25. Not what I expected. Not when no, I expected it because I've read Acts 16 before. But if it was the first time I read this, I wouldn't have expected it. My humanity doesn't expect it. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Wait, what? They're not in there angry. They're not in there bitter. They are, they are beaten. 
which by the way, illegally, which we'll look at next week, but they're in there and they're just having a worship service. They're having a prayer service. They're in there just praying and they are worshiping in their condition. Their backs are torn open. They're bound by chains. They're forced into the most uncomfortable position with their feet in stocks. Can I just get an honest take? If you're Paul and Silas, how's your attitude right now? How grateful are you for what the Lord has done in this moment? How much whining are you doing? I feel like I need an attitude adjustment just reading this text. <laughs> I just like, not even a sermon, just, I get to verse 25 and I'm like, I need an attitude adjustment. They were praying and worshiping. What? Praying and worshiping. And it says all the other prisoners were listening to them. And, and I don't know what that sounded like because I feel like singing in a prison in stocks after being beaten probably is worse quality than singing in the shower and I don't want anyone listening to that and here they are just singing before the Lord they're praising the Lord can you imagine all chained up and blood running down their back I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life the other prisoners are like excuse me what is going on praising God and in that moment, something happened. In that moment, something shifted. Why? Because when we open our hands to God, we invite his presence into the situation. When we open our hands to God, we aren't building the wall. We aren't saying stay away. When we open our hands to God, we're saying, God, I need your presence in this situation. When we lift our hands in worship, the Bible tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The presence of God shows up. That's being open-handed to take those clenched fists and to open them and worship and invite him. God, come. Instead of turning from God, we turn to God. And when we do, the miraculous breaks out. Let's keep looking at our, our story here. Verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights or lamps or torches, whatever they had rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He must have been listening to the prayer and worship too. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your, your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, which was they gave him the gospel, and to him all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and he and his whole household. That is quite the all-nighter. Here's what I want you to see. This is, way, this is clearly more than an earthquake. 
Last time I checked, earthquakes don't have fine motor skills. <laughs> earthquakes are like Wreck-It Ralph. They just destroy everything, okay? It's oddly specific that an earthquake hits. It doesn't say that the jail foundations fell or shook. It says chains just popped off and doors flung open. Very specific. What, what do I think happened? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I think a whole bunch of angels started having a dance party at that worship, and they started rushing through and started ripping chains and pushing doors. That's what I think happened, because earthquakes can't just do that, and then nothing else. Why is there no commentary on anything else being destroyed? Just chains being broken, and just doors being opened. Hmm. It's so evident that this earthquake was the presence of God showing up. Not just to break physical chains, but he wanted to break spiritual ones too. You see, the presence of God opens doors and breaks chains. When we are stuck, when we are discouraged, the presence of God comes in and opens doors and breaks chains. Jesus proclaimed in Luke 4, 18 through 19, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what happened when Jesus was present on earth. And when the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God hit that prison, it happened again. It happened again. I've heard it said that the Bible is not the story of what happened, it's the story of what always happens. That when the presence of God comes, chains are broken. When the presence of God comes, doors are opened. When the presence of God shows up, demons flee. When the presence of God shows up, everything changes. We go back and we look at this scene and everybody's free, but nobody leaves. Why did nobody leave? Why didn't anyone leave? It was dark. He called for lights later. I mean, there might have been like, you know, you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you like stub your toe, like barely you can see kind of light. But there was maybe some of that, but they couldn't really see. Like there, there's prisoners who actually committed crimes that are in this prison. Their chains are broken off. The prisons that they were in, the doors were open and they stayed there. Why would you stay? Oh, if the presence of God showed up like that, I'd be staying too. I, something was different. Something was miraculous. So they are in this place where everyone's free but no one leaves and the jailer thinks that they left because he's about to commit suicide. He can't see yet that everyone's still there and he's about to commit suicide. Why would he commit suicide? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 12, similar situation. This wasn't the first prison break. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's arrested. He goes to prison. An angel shows up and breaks him out of prison. And he, was, he had guards on both sides of him. Complete, just let's go. He just goes walking right out. When he got to the door and knocked on the people of the house, I love this story because he knocks and he's like, I'm here. And the lady answers the door and she's like, oh my goodness, shuts the door on his face and goes back in and goes, you guy, Peter's here. And they're like, no way. Peter's just out there like, okay, hi, I'm here. 
You know what happens to those guards that were guarding Peter? They were executed. They didn't do their job. The jailer knew what was coming for him. If his prisoners got out, he's done. His life's over. I just might as well kill myself. It'll be less painful because I'll get flogged and beaten and tortured and all that kind of stuff first. But Paul says, hold on. We're all here. You guys, instant prison ministry. Not the kind of prison ministry I'm looking for, just to be clear. But this was the first prison ministry right here in Acts 16. He's, everybody surrendered. Paul surrendered when he could have left. And see, surrender is what happens in the presence of God. We open our hands and we say, God, I invite you in. I worship you. And what happens in his presence is surrender happens. I love the song that we sing, Crowns Down, because it's, it's right out of Revelation where the elders come before and they just lay down, they bow down before the King of kings and Lord of lords. In the presence of God, all you can do is just say, God, I just surrender to your greatness, to your power, to your might, to your presence. I surrender to you. And Paul surrendered to the guard, practically, physically. But then the guard surrendered his life to Jesus. Because of Paul's act of surrender, the guard had an act of surrender. And it changed the trajectory of his life. It changed his future. It changed his children's future. It changed his eternity. And it all started with open hands of praise that led to open hands of surrender. This man took Paul and Silas. He cleaned them up, cleaned their wounds. He fed them a meal. He led his family to the Lord. You see, contending with open hands didn't just change the situation. It changed everything. It changed the eternity of this family, the outcome of his life. It changed Paul's situation. It changed Paul's outlook. I think if Paul would have been grumbling and complaining and angry at God, he would have been in no position to go minister to this guy. He had a shift and he saw an opportunity and he ministered and friends in our lives as we contend we must contend with open hands we must contend with open hands that you can either fight against God or you can fight alongside God and if you would open your hands to God and let him fight this battle with you when you open your hands and worship and surrender and invite his presence into the situation, things change. And some of you have probably been struggling. That maybe you've been racking your head trying to come up with a solution. You've been chasing dead ends. And maybe you've stopped contending because, well, you've run out of options. And you don't know where to start. I've been there before where I've been trying to fight for something and I've come up with every idea I can and now I'm out of options I don't know where to start at this point. I don't know what else to do. And the best place to start is contending in the presence of God. To invite the presence of God. Come on, church, crank up that worship music in your life. There, there's, there's no excuse in our day of technology to say, I don't know, I don't play a guitar or a piano, so I like, worship's not something I can do. Yeah, it is. You can find just play it. Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, I, whatever. There's worship music everywhere. And you got to shift your thinking. When you're grumbling and, compla and complaining, you know, it's really hard to be angry and bitter and grumble and complain while singing. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. It's really hard. 
to do those things at the same time. Really, really hard. See, the Bible shows us that worship is actually warfare. All throughout the Old Testament, they had the worst battle plans from human standards. Let's send the worship team out in front, right? I mean, I don't know if I'm like the guy you're going to send out front, you know? I'm going to send Jacob out. I'm going to send Ron out, and I'm going to send these guys. I'm just going like, to get the muscle out front. The Bible tells us that the worship is the muscle in the spiritual realm that it invites the presence of God and we need to redirect our situation. We need to redirect our attention, get it off our situation and get it onto our savior. That you move your vision and you say, all right, I'm so focused on this circumstance, but I gotta focus on my savior and what he can do. James 4.10 tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Church, if you would open your hands you will not believe what God will do. Say, God, will you come in? I invite you into this situation. And some of you this morning, the starting place for you to contend is something maybe you haven't done because you're blaming God. I mean, let's get real honest with ourselves this morning. Are you stuck in some areas of your life because really deep down you're blaming God? If you... Some of you are saying, I can't contend. And I believe that a big reason you can't contend, maybe, maybe this isn't true for you, but I'm going to guess that it could be. You haven't invited God into the situation. Say, God, I need to invite you. I open my hands to you. I surrender to what you want to do. I know it's not a fun prayer. I know that what he wants to do might not be what my flesh wants to do. I know that. But nothing's going to change if we just keep fighting it on our own way. We got to say, God, I invite you into this. I invite your presence into my struggle. I invite your presence into my anger. And invite you, your presence into this area of my life that I'm so cold. I'm so frustrated. God, I invite you in. And when you open your hands... And you surrender to the Lord and you invite him in like Paul and Silas did, imprisoned, beaten, bad circumstances. I'm telling you, the presence of God is going to show up in your life and is going to shift everything. But you've got to make that invitation. You've got to get those closed fists and you've got to open them up and say, God, I invite you. Will you stand with me this morning as we close? Worship team, could you come up this morning and close us? Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, show us where in our hearts we've got closed fists. Show us where we're pushing you away or blaming you, God. God, reveal to us where we've kept you at a distance, God. Examine our hearts today, Lord. Hallelujah. Just invite you in. We invite you in. We open our hands to you. If you're in a place this morning, church, where you've had closed fists to God as we sing this song, I encourage you to even open those hands. Lift your hands to God and say, God, I invite you. I invite you in.
I invite you in. If you are stuck in a place this morning, if there's a place in your life where you are stuck in, I want to encourage you, come forward this morning. Spend time at the altar, kneeling before the Lord, opening your hands to God. Meet with someone on our prayer team and saying, will you pray with me? I can't open my hands. I'm too angry. I'm too frustrated. It's been too long. It's too far gone. I can't. I can't. And we will pray with you. We will go to the Lord together with you and say, God, help us open our hands. We invite your presence right now, Lord. We invite your presence, Jesus. If you need, church, if you need to come forward, even right now to the altar to say, God, I need to open my hands to what you're gonna do. I open my hands to your presence. I open my hands to what you wanna do in my life, God. We come to you with open hands. Break down our walls. Break down our anger. Break down our frustrations. Break down our bitterness. Lord, we open our hands to you today. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name, let's sing together this morning.